I'm Mark, Mark Rose. Um, I'm the owner of Redline Magazine. Um, I'm the founder of Redline Magazine, and um, I produce a printed car magazine. There we go, nice and easy. I can In use that as my intro as well. Yeah. <laughs> hit record now and then we can get into the talking about you and what you do yep. rather than me trying to pry secrets out of you like uh, an industry spy yeah um, <clears throat> usually me as the journalist is the one doing the spying to yeah. be honest whereas i as the layperson i'm like i don't know how that world works Let's yeah dig into a bit more so it's a nice opportunity for me to to speak to someone from the other side of the coin so to speak yeah because um, I am all of my brand so I don't really have that much insight outside of what I do so it's nice to be able to sit down and chat with people that work in the other bits of the industry and can kind of go oh this is how this works or yeah. if you want to get into a magazine this is what you have to do and yeah. stuff like that um, which from my perspective is really helpful and hopefully from an audience perspective it's quite interesting and well, it's not just boring me asking silly questions <laughs> well I think my route into what I do is very different to um, what you would, I suppose, y y your average journalist, w you know, how they would get into, you know, either writing for a car magazine or in this case, it's my own car magazine. Um, but um, I, I just, I'm one of those people, I, I, one day I was just like, I'm going to start a business and this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah. So it was a bit of a blag, to be honest. Um, I really like cars. How can I drive more cars? Well, if I had a magazine, I'd get to drive loads of cars. Yeah, that one, pretty much, yeah. No, what, what happened was I was doing um, a little bit of writing for a, uh, a local um, car magazine, and I, I use that term loosely um, because there was motoring content in there, but um, really it was just a, a bit of a cash cow for advertising. Right. With some motoring with content some cars in it. to make yeah. it seem like a car magazine. Yeah, there was, like, there was no road testing or anything like that. Um, and uh, I started doing some editorial articles, and the feedback that I got was very good. So, you know, I, I learned a little bit um, about the business model. And I was between jobs at the time. Yeah. I was very good at getting sacked from jobs because I wasn't very good at taking direction from other people. I can appreciate that, yeah. I've often butted heads with management and directors and things because it's like, we want you to do this. Well, why? Because yeah. I said so. You're going to have to give me more reasoning <laughs> yeah. or I'm not going to be able to get on board with what you want me to do. If you want me to do a good job, you have to make it make sense. Yeah. Well, I'm your boss, so yeah, right, we're not going to get on. This is going to no. be a problem. <laughs> no, exactly. And my background, you know, it was, um, I've done a lot of sales-based roles. Right. Um, and I'm sure I'll get onto this at some point. There's a lot of selling involved in terms yeah, of, you know, starting a car mag. Um, and I just thought, you know, I, I don't really want to go back into employment. I had a bit of money behind me at the time. And I was just like, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to do this. Yeah. You know, um, and we started the business. And... Yeah, it's just been um, a roller coaster since then. I can imagine. To be honest, um, starting um, a print product, print magazine, um, in this day and age is not common. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the world's changed. We have all these great digital platforms and people automatically think, well, you know, let's go and do something, you know, either on YouTube or Instagram or, or whatever it might be. Um, but... And, you know, you don't have all these print costs associated with that. You know, the overheads are so much less than they are with, with, with running a, a car magazine, a print one. So, yeah, 
it's um, it's very different. But um, I mean, you have to look at the likes of the intercooler, and it's digital only, yep. subscribe only. It's very much pay for the content. There's not a it's a, a completely opposite end of the spectrum business model to you, really, isn't it? They're, they're not. We get all of our money from advertising. Yeah. And here is content for you if you buy it. It's all pay for it or you don't get to the bottom of the article. Yep. It's a very different dynamic that is mainly focused at the way digital works these days. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I imagine it's been somewhat of a, an uphill struggle with advertisers for you, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. At times, I think the way that we um, position the brand and the product um, was that, you know, I never wanted to do a consumer advice mag. You know, you see the weeklies yeah. um, and even, you know, some of the monthlies and there's loads of consumer advice that you can get in there and it's really great content, but you can also go on the internet and get it at the click of a button. Yeah. Um, so I thought to ensure the business has longevity um, and the magazine's well received, we need to make sure that um, we're, we're putting entertainment out there. And so that means a high quality print product, um, really great pictures, um, informative and engaging editorial content um, and to have that supported by advertisers who run quality businesses and offer great products and services yeah you know and if you can get all of that together in a print product then in this day and age you stand a far better chance of having a successful publication than you just do going down the consumer advice route yeah of course because you're, you're providing value and it, it's value that comes at this you, you have to buy this magazine to get this value. Yep. And if you don't, then you miss out on all these great stories and adventures and interesting ideas and concepts and things like that. And it's yeah. it's one that's really... It speaks to the enthusiast audience, I, yeah. I would imagine. Similar with kind of Roadrat, Magneto, that their whole kind of ethos is, this stuff's interesting. Mm. We're not trying to pitch stuff to you all the time. Yeah. And we're not trying to go, oh, this is how you change the wipers, or this is how you do this, or this is how you yeah. do It's more of a... This guy existed, he did this cool stuff, he did it in this car, here's a cool story from history, or yep. we went on this trip, here's how cool it was. And it it feels like your magazine sits in that world way more than, say, Car Magazine or Top Gear Magazine does. Yeah, I think we've positioned ourselves um, sort of away from your sort of traditional newsstand mm -hmm. car publication. Um, and yeah, it's, um, it's a great time. It's good. good fun. It's a lot of hard work, though. I bet, yeah. yeah uh, I think at six minutes we should probably introduce who you are. Oh, yeah, we, we, yeah sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> you get me fine. talking about my business. That's and, fine, yeah, that's what I want. I want you to talk about your business. I want you to talk about what you do and how hard it is and how easy some bits are and the joys and the ups and the downs. But we should at least let people know who it is that's telling all these amazing stories. So the only question, as with all the others, is who are you and what do you do? Uh, I'm Mark, Mark Rose. Um, I'm the owner of Redline Magazine. Um, I'm the founder of Redline Magazine. And... Um, I produce a printed car magazine. There we go, nice and easy. I can In use that as my intro as well. Yeah. Oh, so um, I've just given you less work to do as well. Yeah. yeah. So I've been very conflicted as of late because I've been using that piece for the intros a lot. And then I can't remember who it was. We didn't do that bit quite as cleanly. I was like, you know what, I'll just do a, this is who I've been chatting to. And I was like, actually, that probably adds a bit more of a personal connection to me in the audience because yeah. you get that first couple of minutes is just me Hi, catching up, bit of a back from me personally rather than just a snippet. Yeah. So I'm moving forward. I'm like, do I do that or do I do what I've been doing and taking that snippet and going, this is who you're about to listen to essentially. Yeah. Um, so it may or may not be 
the intro. And by this point, people will know the answer to that because yeah. they'll have got past the intro to get to here. And um, uh, it felt really weird talking about myself in that way then. Because um, I'm... What do you do? Uh, 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 well, uh, um. well, my name's this and this is what I do. And uh, it's like, I'm not really a... Um, what's the word I'm thinking of? I'm, I'm not... Um, I don't really put myself out there in that kind of way, yeah. which is great in some ways, but works against you in others. Um, so I, I just feel like a regular guy producing a car magazine. Right, I'm with you. you know. it's just, I have a similar thing. Like, I, I just draw T-shirts. Yeah. And people go, yeah, but you also run a podcast and do car meets. I'm like, yeah, but it's not really work. It's, no. It's like I enjoy creating these podcasts. I get to sit and chat with interesting people. And the car meets are a testament to the people that host them with me. It's not like I'm at everyone and I'm doing all these logistics I just go are you open would you like a load of cars to turn up and give you extra business and we'll build community around you mm. that sounds great there we go you're open <laughs> go there they're open <laughs> yeah. get coffee have food make some friends it's, it doesn't feel like I'm doing anything so it's kind of it's a hard thing to go I do this it's like yeah, yeah I don't feel like I do much yeah. and then other people see it from the outside and it looks like a big mountain of work to do every month I make like four Instagram posts yeah that's all, that's the the entirety of of that side of things um, and and here's the thing like I don't like making myself sound important mm. you know it's um I just want to I, I just like driving fast cars and <laughs> writing about them and, and publishing more these products this. yeah <laughs> yeah it's supposed to be quite difficult when you have say like so obviously you've just had the Lamborghini um Urus Performante. Yeah. You have to probably give off some amount of I'm res- respected, I'm important, lend me a car. It's in your best interest and I can be trusted with it. Like, There's got to be an amount of that that you have to do to um, have these relationships. Yeah, you've got to dress it up, I think. Not, not in a deceitful way. <laughs> we get millions, of, millions and millions of sales all yeah, the time. Yeah. Millions and millions. <laughs> no, but people see right through that and a lot of these press officers... Um, have been, you know, in the in the business for a long time, so they can cut through the crap quite yeah. quickly, you know, and they can see, you know, what's good and what isn't. Um, and I'm I'm just myself with them, um, and I think it comes from a place of, you know, I, t- I talk about the business and and what we're doing, and it, it sounds a bit clinical sometimes, but you know, my er- my earliest memories are cars. You know, there's there's a picture of me in a little white Mercedes pedal car. Yeah. That, that my parents bought me. I was two years old and I used to go pedalling up and down the road in it. And that's, that's an ingrained passion mm. and everything that we do is passion, um, you know, from a content perspective. And I think when I'm, I'm talking to manufacturers um, and certainly when we're creating the content and, and publishing it, I, I think that enthusiasm for cars really, really shines through. Yeah. Um, and there's other things which are important um, as well, that, that these um, you know lovely people over at the PR offices look at. But if you're not passionate about it, there's there's no point mm. you know giving you the car yeah. to, to review. They're going to get a bad product at the end, aren't they? Yeah, million it's not going to be from someone that knows how to be an enthusiast talking yeah. to an enthusiast. Yeah, it's going to be from an engineer trying to sell how good a car is based on oh well the ride quality is slightly bumpy here and this is it's not interesting to read and it's not going to 
get people on board with a brand if it's boring. Exactly. And I think, you know, one of the great things about being enthusiastic about something is that, you know, you can kind of separate cars sometimes, you know, what's subjectively good and what can I be opinionated on? Mm. You know, I can say, well, look, this is good at doing that, but I don't particularly like it for whatever, whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and as long as that comes from an honest place, that can also be a really constructive thing as well. Yeah. And I imagine having a bit of honesty and a bit of kind of like feedback rather than just opinion really yeah. helps with kind of car manufacturers and what they're trying to do and I'm just if the audio sounds like I'm moving it's because I am <laughs> Mike's left his phone on loud alright stop now that's okay so I won't be moving because um, I think the mics are on stereo so if I wander over there it might sound you right. might hear the direction change but I think he's found his phone so okay so just to give context we sat out the back of Squizita which people who know Coffees and Cars will know is the original location that we started from um, so there might be a little bit of background noise from the pub and there might be a little bit of noise from Mike wandering about in the shop, but hopefully it's not too intrusive, and these microphones should be good enough to be quite localised to our voices. Um, but this is a heads-up just in case, just because people will moan otherwise. Shout-out to Mike, by the way. This is my first time here, and if any of your listeners haven't visited this place yet, come down. Oh, for sure. Because the pizza's great. It's got a bit of a man cave going on in there. The coffee's really good as well. And it's just like a, a nice chilled environment. He's, he's done a really good job with it. Yeah. I'm not sure how much pizza he's doing at the minute. Mike, how much pizza are you doing at the minute? In... Are you selling pizza still? What, like, in general? A, yeah. Um, yeah, just yeah. in the day. We do a little bit. Not, not a lot. Right. Well, we we're just picking you up on the yeah. thing, so we thought we'd... I, mean, I, I was just like, are we recording? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just said nice things. Oh, I expect thanks. payment for that later on, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, well, there's already pizza, so <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think like, you've been yeah. covered. No, in fairness, yeah, we've got pizza. Uh, no, no, yeah, we, we, we're doing a bit. We're, we're, doing... we're starting again with delivery. Not delivery, but collection and evenings in October, hopefully. Oh, right, nice. So, like, the, the old school pizza nights that we used to do. Yeah. They'll be back. But, yeah. yeah. So, come down. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Fair. That's the closest to an advert I've ever had in one of these. Yeah. <laughs> that I is got... quite the plug, to be honest. Mm. I got approached by a... I think it was an auction house said oh we want to sponsor your podcast how many listeners do you get and I was like I'm not going to beat around the bush and it was when it was very small and I think I probably had 50 a week mm. I was like it's 50 a week it averages about I think if they're two hours long and it's 50 listeners it's a reasonable amount of like minutes listened to mm. um, like I think it's 50 times 100 6,000 minutes a week which isn't loads and loads, but if you think of it in terms of YouTube hours, watch, or something, it's not too bad. Yeah. Oh, we thought it was way bigger than that. I was like, how? You know it's just me. If you've listened to a single episode of this, <laughs> you know it's just me going, oh, I've got a microphone and a, fr- a person to talk to. Let's go. Like, yeah. it's really clear what this is all about. Yeah. Oh, maybe not then. I was like, well, it's entirely up to you. If you want a lower end of the scale bit, you've got a nice, easy option. Oh, we'll see. Never heard back from them. In fairness, the fact that they approached you is yeah. testament to your marketing. What it had been is I had the Henry Catchpole episode was, I think it's still my most listened to by a factor of like two. I've listened to that. Yeah. Uh, I love that. Henry's just Henry's an absolute brilliant. hero. And yeah. having his name on the episode really helped yeah. with people going, oh, that was interesting, I listened to that. So I think what happened was that episode came Watch out. Watch your ratings drop off when they see me on the podcast. And I shot like 14th in the, in the charts. Wow. So it made me seem like I'm really up there. And it's back down to like 25 or 30 or something like that. 
Um, but obviously that was the week that they looked in the charts and saw mine all the way up there. And I'm like, oh, we'll get in touch with him then. <laughs> like, yeah, it's great. We're absolutely smashing it. I've had one episode that shot right to the top. So, but the thing is, I'm not doing it for that. It's not a commercialised idea. Mm. The idea is to just a have interesting conversations with interesting people from the car world, and b just to go look. Chatting doesn't need to be too scary. You can just chat and see where it goes and. If I can sit and chat with someone that I've not really spent any time with and I don't really know, and we can spend an hour and a half just chatting, mm. you can talk to your mates and you can bring up when it's a bit difficult or if you need a bit more of a chat or if you just want to go for a coffee. It doesn't need to be this big scary thing. We can just go, I could do with a coffee and a chat. And growing up, that's what me and my mates used to do all the time is we'd go for a coffee and we'd end up sat chatting until like 2 o'clock in the morning about everything, life, the world, yeah. you know, absolutely everything. And it it made such a huge difference to how well we got on like mentally mm. and as friends because we were communicating all the time and we were socialising and it really did make a huge difference to almost like having a support network around you. Yeah. Um, so that's the main premise of this. It, it gives opportunity for me to, to introduce interesting people and share some interesting stories and then at the same time to go, look, don't worry about it, just go for a chat, have a cup of coffee, sort stuff out by just talking. Yeah, definitely. And it's, um, you know... Uh, as men, we don't really talk to each other all that much yeah, exactly. uh, about the, the deeper issues. And I think um, all, all I would say to people just, you know, from some experience um, is that it's always good to talk to people. And, you know, for me, it's, it's always been quite difficult to do that. Um, and I carry a lot of pressure and weight on my own shoulders at yeah. times. Um, and I let it sort of eat me up a bit and you know, if you're in any high-pressure environment and, and running a business, particularly a car magazine, is, trust me, it's a high-pressure environment. Yeah. And one day you can have the best day ever and the next day you want to pull your hair out and go, I quit, I don't want to do this anymore. Why do I even bother in the first place? And, um, you know, having good people to lean on yeah. um, just to get your, your thoughts and your feelings um, off your chest is, is so important at times. Yeah, 100%. And sometimes you don't need to have the conversation directly about a problem. It can just be going and having a chat makes like the whole thing feel lighter yeah like I, I could be sat feeling absolutely miserable and feeling like a failure or not wanting to do anything anymore and we're sacking it all off and then I can go and have go for like dinner with some friends and not bring anything up just chat about life and share stories and this and the other and by the end of the evening I feel way better yeah of course brings, lifts your spirits doesn't yeah. it even yeah. if I don't mention what's been on my mind it, it just helps yeah um, and as you say, us blokes, we're really bad at the communicating part. But I think even if we just get better at chatting, yeah. not necessarily, like, the first step doesn't need to be the biggest one. Just getting into a, a situation where you can just sit and chat with your mates. Yeah. It's a good starting point to then, if you do need a, a proper chat, you're a little bit more prepared for it. Yeah. Whereas if you spend your whole time just burying your head in the sand and not talking to anyone, it's going to be way harder when things get really difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah, a million percent. Million percent. But, uh, oh, bloody hell. The problem with sitting outside is the flies and the wasps. Uh, I think we might be all right. We should be okay. If we make loads of noise, it's because we moved inside. Um, so what have you found to be, like, the big challenge? So my, from my perspective, looking at someone starting a car mag, or even just being involved in a car mag, the, the bit that really puts me off doing it is the approaching people for business and going... Can we have some money, please? We want to do this thing. Yeah. That bit is always the... I'm always like, I personally don't want that amount of hassle, so I'm just going to avoid it. 
it's a lot of hassle um, and it takes um, a really thick skin mm. to do it. Um, I used to, and I hope nobody on this podcast uh, judges me when I say this, but my first ever job was as an estate agent. Right. Um, great profession, by the way. My dad used to own as an estate agent. Did he? Oh, I'm in good company then. In 2007. So 2008, the whole market collapsed. Yeah. And had to sh- sh- shop. Um, but yeah, I, I can understand the world of estate agents. <laughs> yeah. So you know where I'm coming from. And, um, you know, in fact, I'd say to anybody, um, if they're ever looking, especially younger people who are looking for their first job or something, you know, go and do estate agency for a couple of years because, okay, might have a bit of stigma, you know, attached to it at times in terms of, you know, um, sleazy salesperson, but you learn some really great transferable qualities that you can take into so many other areas of life and business. Yeah. You know, whether it's selling, marketing, dealing with people, working as a team, getting up in the morning and putting a suit on and and looking sharp. Um, There's some really valuable things that you can learn by being in that industry. Um, And even if, like, you just do it for a couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. You know, go and do that. Um, it's, um, It's a good thing to do. But, yeah, so that's kind of where my sales background came from. So I was already in a good position where I'd sort of been trained to sell things. Um, and I'd been, I'd learned how to take no for an answer, yeah. but not let it get me down. Just, just try again, try, try, try again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I started Redline, it was very much, okay, I've got to go out and I've got to sell advertising space now, but instead of worrying about selling advertising space in particular, I was just in my head, it was just another thing to sell at the end of the day. And as long as you understand your product, um, what the benefits are to it, um, you know, for the advertiser, then you can effectively go and sell. And sure, you'll get lots of rejection. Yeah. But, you know, and advertising is probably the most difficult thing to sell. Um, As someone who's been approached by a couple of magazines for it, I I can wholeheartedly agree that it's a difficult one to sell. Yeah. And I have a very easy way of going, well, I have no money. Yeah. (laughs) Even if I wanted to, I can't. Yeah. Um, But I I can understand just the level of kind of rejection and setbacks and knockbacks must be a real kind of skill set to learn in managing that. Yeah, for sure. Um, One thing that... um, I'll get onto that in a minute, but um, in terms of managing rejection, you just... It's tough, like it is really tough, even for somebody who knows how to sell and they're used to rejection on a regular basis. Um, you, you just gotta, you just gotta pick yourself up, dust yourself down, and go right. That person doesn't want it at the moment, yeah. But a lot of the time, they want it in the future. So you know what? I'll follow them up in a couple of months' time, and I'll go and find somebody else. And to a point, it's almost like a numbers game. Um, you know you can approach so many people and eventually somebody will turn around and go, you know what, I'll do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just about... You, you, you have to set yourself up for success a little bit, not set yourself up for failure. Mm-hmm. If mentally you let it get you down, then you set yourself up for failure because you won't be motivated to get on the phone and make another call yeah, yeah. And, and try and, and sell another advertising slot. So you really have to kind of just go, you know what, for every no that's bad but the yeses are what really counts yeah um and to um and to get back to that point which i've now forgotten (laughs) sorry (laughs) derailed you too quick yeah yeah um that's gone i'm trying to work back in my head 
So we've gone estate agents, and then I interrupted with, how do you deal with all the rejection? Yeah. Yeah. No, I can't, can't retrace either. Yeah, I, really, I can't remember. Sorry, that's entirely on me. And that's right. I'm currently, well, I say I'm currently in the process. I'm just waiting to hear back about um, an ADHD referral. Oh, really? And part of ADHD is the inability to stay on track, <laughs> like so easily distracted and off down tangents, which is great for doing this sort of stuff because it means that I can go off into all different areas and mm. have all sorts of conversations that are nothing like where we started. And it's quite interesting to see where they end up. And the inverse of that is I can just derail a conversation <laughs> and can't remember where we, where we came off track. Um, it's all good. But then it's on me to try and find a way back in. Um, so the, the advertising side of things is obviously a, a huge part of what you, your day-to-day, I'd imagine. Or are you at a point now where you've got quite consistent business that you can rely on? We've got consistent business that we can rely on. Um, we're always looking for more, and I don't mean that from a, from a greedy point of view, but just, you know, we, we've got a 100-page mag. We try and have 80% of that as content, 20% of that as adverts. So it's not too ad-heavy for the reader mm-hmm. because the moment you see too many ads in anything, you just sort of shut down a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, 20 pages of ads is, is, is a good amount um, from, a, from a financial point of view. So... And, but advertisers come and go. Yeah. Um, and some of them, you know, come in and out of the magazine on an ad hoc basis. We've got regulars that have been with us um, since, um, since the very beginning, um, which is great. Um, but then we've got people that, that really love what we do and they sign up and they do an annual thing with us. Right, I'm with you. Um, and, um, yeah, so, but we're always looking to, to build uh, the advertising side of the business. I've, I've never started a fresh magazine and had 20 advertisers fresh off the bat. Right, yeah. You know, it just, it just doesn't work like some. that. Yeah, and even like the other mags, like because I'm in the game and, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to lots of different businesses, even the mags like Top Gear, for example, you know, you look at the rotation of adverts that mm. they have in there and I'll be speaking to people that have previously advertised in Top Gear and they go, oh, Top Gear phoned me up selling me ad space. Yeah. So if Top Gear is still out here selling I've had emails from Top space, Gear. Of course you have, yeah. Uh, the funniest thing I had was, I think it was Evo. Um, so in lockdown, I wrote a piece. Just It was going to just be a blog post about kind of tips to look after your mental health through the lockdown. Because obviously a lot of isolation, no social engagement, stuff like that. Here's some car-related stuff that can help. Like if you're going for a walk, do some car spotting. If you're going to clean your car, make a day of it good for your mental space, that kind of thing. So I wrote this piece, and I'd been chatting back and forth with um, Henry Catchpole after he'd bought one of my T-shirts. I said, I've written this thing. I really appreciate your input, just because, you know, you're a professional, and I've never written anything really. Would you mind having a look at it and just giving me some pointers? So I sent it over to him. He went, this is great. I'll send it to Evo. So before this, Evo's sales team had done their, their jobs, called me up. It's this much for a quarter page, blah, blah, blah. I said, I've got no money. I Literally, I'm like 18 months into this and it's not I'm 18 months as a full time gig It's I'm 18 months of whatever time I can give it bits and bobs here and there I've got no money, I've got no startup capital I'm literally just, I've designed a t-shirt if you buy it, I'll send it to you that's as much as I can do so I said I can't afford advertising so I, I sent this thing to Henry and he said it was great sent it to Evo and it went on Evo's website mm. and um, like the day after I got another call from Evo 
oh, I've seen your piece on our website. Do you want an advertising space? I was like, why the fuck would I want advertising space when you've just freely written about <laughs> me on the website <laughs> with my words and what I do? Why would I pay for advertising space when that's way more like... Exactly. It's less salesy because it's a piece that I've written rather than going, buy my T-shirts. Yeah. And the kid was like, yeah, but you could just le- leverage it in this. I was like, oh, I've still not got any money. Oh, that old sales tactic, yeah. is it? Yeah, yeah. But I've got free advertising from you from having approached this whole scenario from a different angle. Yeah. And he just couldn't get his head around it. <laughs> I was like, at the end of the day, I can't afford anything, so sorry, no. Um, but it just really cracked me up like the day after. I've seen yeah. your piece on our website. I'm like, yeah, so why would I pay to be out, like on the website as well if my piece is already there yeah. on the homepage? Oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> so... It's, it's an interesting game, and I think what you said earlier about stuff being testament to my ability to market, I think I give off a bigger perception than I am. You definitely do, yeah. Um, um, which is all about my ability to learn skills. Yeah. So I am not from a design background. I'm not from a marketing background. I'm, my formal education is accountancy. I'm really good with spreadsheets and numbers. Mm. Um, but... I'm good at learning skills. Yeah. So when this idea started, I was like, well, I can't afford a graphic designer to design stuff, so I'll just learn how to do it. Yeah. And then I learned how to do graphic design for my own like designs and artworks and stuff like that. And if you look back over my like back catalogue of stuff, you can see the progression of, wow, that was an amateur attempt, yeah. and now I can design a logo pretty well and I can do an artwork pretty well. And it's been the same with learning how to market and how to take photos and how to do videos and all that sort of stuff. It's all from, well, I can't afford to get anyone else to do this for me, so I'll just have a go. Mate, it's the same thing with Redline. Yeah. Um, I, um, I write most of the editorials, although, you know, we do have, um, I have a couple of contributing writers now. But, you know, the bulk of what you see in the magazine, I've written it, I've designed it. Yeah. Um, I've got Dom, who's my photographer. Um, who's been with me for a very long time now, um, who's just, he's so good, he's so talented. Um, and, you know, most of the magazine you see, I've, I've sold the ad space, I've written the editorial, yeah, I've done yeah. the artwork design. <laughs> this is why I can only do it quarterly, right? Because there's, there's no just way I can condense running around it. doing everything. Yeah, exactly. But if you look at early copies of the mag and you look at where it is now, you can see that design progression, you know, um, and also, you know, on the social media platforms as well, you can see that progression from the, the quality of the content and the cards that we had in the early days to, to where we are now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we first very briefly met. It had been... I've been either here or South End, so in the last three years. So it was either 2020 at the tail end when we were allowed to go back outside again, or it was 2021... I think I remember, I think it was um, a meet in Chelmsford. It was in Chelmsford when Jordan was doing the coffee mornings at the park and ride. Yeah. Um, It was the one at the Sandon park and ride, I remember now. Yeah, Yeah. and I think you gave everyone or most people a copy. And my memory... Don't tell people I used to hand them out for free. Don't tell them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how else are people going to know you exist? No, but you know what? Jordan's a mate. Um, Jordan from Slam, by the way. Yeah, Slam's UK. Um, Jordan's a mate, and... um, he was with me the day I came up with this idea. Was he, he won't know this because we're, we're not that close. We, every so often in passing, we'll see each other. But he had the red Vulcan that was on the Grand Tour, the one that Clarkson drove. Yeah. He had that at Gravity one year, and I know the guy whose car it is. Mm. So they were filming some content for Gravity with the car, and my mate messaged me, went, we're doing some stuff with the car, do you want to come and have a go? 
and we just coincidentally met. Yeah. Um, but he was there because that was the day I was chatting with my friend's dad, whose car it is, about why his number plates don't match anyone's names. And he mm. said, oh, it's a unique word for each business. And that's why Tacona is a unique word, is because of that conversation right. that I had at the dinner table. So I was chatting with my mate's dad and my mate and Jordan and the photographer all chatting. So like literally next to each other at that really pivotal moment for how this all came together. Right. But Jordan and I, we're not like pals. I'm not from around here. I've yeah. lived here for a little bit and our worlds don't cross that often. Yeah. So it's not like I can sit here and have a beer with him and go, oh, can you remember when you were part of this? <laughs> yeah. It's literally coincidental that the two of us were on the same, places, isn't it? at the same yeah. dinner table. Um, but yeah, that was maybe 2021 then. Uh, yeah, must be, yeah. Uh, yeah. But the magazine then was, if I'm remembering right, it, the print quality wasn't quite as high. No. I think it was more... It was glossy. Glossy rather than yeah. like the satin finish that you've got now. Or yeah, yeah. Finish, whatever it's called, silk. Yeah, we got a matte finish on, on the cover and the text pages, I, I think, think it's silk. I think there's a egg on the front cover, if I'm remembering right. I know the cover, that was issue seven. Right. No, it was issue eight, sorry, yeah, issue eight with the uh, um, Jumeirah. I think right, Jumeirah, so I'm it sorry. wasn't Zach's Regera then? No, 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 it was, um, that was, um, that's one of my least favourite magazine covers <laughs> over the years. <laughs> which um, I, uh, I take full responsibility for designing. No, it looked all right, but I tried to do kind of like one of these artsy style covers. Right. And we took a press image of the car, cut it out, and kind of just slapped it on a background and, and put some words around it. And I suppose it looks all right, but I, I, certainly, I certainly wouldn't do that again well, now. Well, in hindsight, though, you've learned from that. It was a lesson. A million percent, a million percent. <laughs> This is the joy of starting something and having complete control is that you get to learn from it. Like, the, it's a two-sided coin in that you are fully accountable for everything. And if it goes wrong, it's all on you and you can only hold yourself to blame. Yeah. But if it, if it, a, if it goes right, it's all on you. You get all the glory and you get complete directive control to go, I don't think that worked, we'll do this. Or I don't think that worked, we'll do this. Or that could be better. Or we'll tweak this, tweak that without having to go through a committee of people to get what you want. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you're also not held as accountable because you could have a terrible idea and go, well, I'm publishing that, and no one's going to be like, uh, maybe that idea won't work. Yeah. Accountability is a weird one. Like, I hold, I hold myself to a high standard. So if I publish something and then look back on it and go, oh, probably shouldn't have done that, I just... When things go right, you look great, but when things don't go so right, you yeah. look like a cock. <laughs> and that's the problem. And I'm, I'm, I'm really sort of self-critical and it um yeah when i look back on some of the older front covers there's one in particular um and i'm not going to tell people the issue number because i really don't want people going to go look for it <laughs> but there was there was one magazine in, in particular and we had this really great it was one of the early ones and we had this really good picture um and i just managed to find some way of ruining it and i look at that magazine cover and i just mark that was that was a bad point. Just, just don't ever go there again. Yeah, yeah. You know? Learn from this. Take this on the chin. Yeah. We still go in, so it's not been too detrimental. No, not been too detrimental. Um, yeah, we're still going. Um, we'll, How many issues are you on now? Um, in a few weeks' time, we'll be publishing issue 16. Oh, nice. So that's four years then. Yeah. If yeah. You're quarterly. A bit longer than that, actually, because um, some of the earlier ones weren't, they didn't really get out quarterly. Right. <laughs> Um, and we started the business and we didn't publish immediately, you know, so yeah. it was, um, yeah, so a bit longer than four years, 
but nevertheless um, to think that I'm pretty much done 16 magazines now and yeah. I've and it's still going is um, I made a 25 page brochure over the last couple of weeks for a, a hotel I work with yeah and I got to the end of it I was like finally got all 25 because obviously I've had to do absolutely everything mm. and I like finally got to the end of this 25 page brochure and I was like quite a lot of pages 25 and then you're like I've done 1600 pages of content yeah <laughs> which is so much more yeah. I mean I'd say 20% of it is adverts so they're kind of designed for you but still there's so much stuff to have complete like, input on yeah it's it's a really really big task um, one that I wouldn't recommend not because I don't want competition but it's I, really awful don't start it guys it's terrible you'll, ne- you'll live to regret it <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean this sincerely. Don't do it <laughs> um, for, for the sake of your, dare I say it, mental health, giving yeah. the podcast to one. Don't do it um, because there's, there's a lot of hiccups on the way and there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of responsibility on you as well. You know, manufacturers give you press cards. You've got to get the content out. Um, people advertise with you and spend money. You've got to get their adverts out. Um, readers expect to receive a magazine from you. You've got to get it sent out in the post, you know. And you've got to do all of this while also running the social media accounts. Um, and it's just... Plus, you know, I have a life as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, you know... Obviously, I, I live a life outside of work, but sometimes, dependent on where I am in my publishing schedule, that life sometimes takes a bit of a backseat. Yeah, yeah. But on the flip side, it's quite nice to be able to turn up at a restaurant in a brand new Lamborghini and everyone think you're the bee's knees. And you're like, nobody knows this isn't my car. <laughs> Do you know, it, it was great. So a couple of months ago, it was my girlfriend's birthday. And before we met, she wasn't really into cars Same all that much. Same with my fiancé. She wasn't that bothered. And now she's like, Festival of the Exception is my favourite show ever. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny how you, you sort of turn them a little bit um, to, the, to the dark side. But anyway, she, she's gotten really into McLarens now. She's like, Mark, when you're rich, you're going to buy me a McLaren. I'm like, of course, my love. So I arranged to have a McLaren Artura oh, nice. on test over her um, birthday as well. Because I, I, like I like to try and get press cars when there's something going on as well. Yeah, you know, I know I've got this coming up. I'll try and book a press vehicle around that time, and I can kill two birds with one stone. So yeah, um, got this Artura on test, and uh, I took her into London for some dinner. And um, you know, we're just driving around Mayfair, um, stopping by, going to some like ultra bougie restaurant for for dinner. And I was like, I look really rich right now, yeah, don't yeah. I? And I'm not. <laughs> feel the bees until someone's asking for your for a tip. You're like, this is everything I have in my bank account right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's funny that perception that you can give off sometimes. You know. Yeah, and it's the same with like the Instagram effect. You can seem really, really more than you are on social media. Like, yeah. there's a lot of people that look like they're multimillionaires and they're not. Mm. And every so often you'll get a glimpse of that and the whole facade will come crumbling down. But it's so easy to look like you're doing more than you are or to be worth more than you are or to live a life that you're not leading. And I think a lot of people fall into the trap of setting that as their expectations. Like You hear of a lot of young people like, why haven't I got a McLaren already? So that's not a given. You're Mm. not just, I'm on Instagram, I'm therefore going to have a million followers. That's not how it works. Like It's a whole different world. Mm. 
but a lot of people use that as their barometer for success yeah. and for happiness and it's it's such a wild one that no. you never know what someone's circumstances like I um, I had the Cantera for a couple of days which is a small uh, like a three seat layout like a McLaren car built in Cambridge I don't know if they're still going or not we were exploring some ideas and it all fell through but that looks like a million-pound supercar because yeah. it's a Group C-looking yeah. thing. And you turn up at a petrol station and the doors go up yeah. and you climb out the middle seat. They're really rare. You never see them. There's, like, two yeah. because they're fibreglass on a tube shell and they're one JZ engine and it's made by two blokes in a shed in Cambridge. Yeah. But it looks like it's a multi-million-pound car. And you drive along the road and everybody thinks you're just like, who's this guy? What's he do? What's yeah. his? And it's like... Oh, I was just borrowing it to take some photos. Like, yes, it's not my car. I just happen to have it at this given moment. Do, do you know what I hate? And I, I do genuinely hate this. And I'm sure some of your, your listeners will, will be like, no, he's chatting now. <laughs> but I, where, where I get to drive all these exceptional cars, I am, I'll say I'm lucky. I'm, I'm not, I worked really hard to get the publication into a position where we were entrusted with this, you know, these kinds of cars. But, you know, I'll, I'll be going out about my daily business because when the cars come I daily them yeah you know and I'll turn up somewhere in a McLaren or a Lambo or a Ferrari or whatever it is and people automatically want to know who you are and what you do yeah how can I get what you've got yeah start well, a car magazine it's yeah. awful no but here's the thing <laughs> and it's like um um they go um you know what did you do to get that and or they go oh nice car and I'm very, depending on the social setting, sometimes I'll just go, oh, okay, thanks, and I'll keep it moving. Um, or the, they'll ask me what I do. Or, the, sorry, the regular one is, is the car yours? Yeah, because you're a young guy. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I'm 31, but I probably look in my late 20s. I, I've always, we've got, we always, we look quite youthful in the family. And, and, um, you're throwing my train of thought off again. Man. Oh, sorry. <laughs> People ask what you do. And yeah, there we go. That's what I do. Yeah. And um, I just, I don't tell them that I own a car magazine because the moment you do that, people have like a million other questions for you. You know, you say, oh, I'm a car journalist. And they just, because it's interesting to other people, they, uh, they, they just... They invite want, you on podcasts. They yeah, yeah, it's terrible. The yeah, outskirts of Essex. It's awful. I'm sorry I bumped into you in that petrol station, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Wish we, <laughs> wish we never met. Um, no, I'm joking. But yeah, and people want to get into a whole conversation about what you do. And sometimes, you know, it's like, is the car yours? Yeah, keep it moving. I'm just going to put my fuel in, go into the gas station yeah. because I've got somewhere else to be. And I, I'm not trying to show off, and I don't mean that from, from an arrogant place, but like if I stopped and told everybody that I own a car magazine, I'd spend so much time explaining to people <laughs> why, what, and how. Yeah. And <coughs> sometimes I could just do without the attention. Do you know what I mean? Which is tough when you're in a very attention-y car, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's like you've had a full day at work and you just want to go home and then you pull in to get fuel and someone's badgering you for what you're up to. Yeah. And uh, there's probably, to play devil's advocate a bit, it's like, oh, lucky you, you get to have that situation. And I imagine there's a lot of people that'll hear it and go, well, I'd love that and I'd love it. And it's like, well, yeah, but you've not lived that. You've not spent nearly four years or more than four years doing this sort of stuff and having it happen all the time. Yeah. And you're kind of carrying that... You're almost carrying the expectation with you, whether you like it or not. Yeah, to a point. Because um, you, you're anticipating that someone stops you. I have the opposite problem when I'm in the Renault. 
because everybody's like, that's, I've not seen one of those for years. I'm like, yeah, it's cool. It might not start again, so <laughs> yeah. I've got to keep going. Cherish this moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you'll never see another one because they're all being scrapped. Yeah. Um, but I like that car for the exact opposite reason of a Lamborghini because it is so egoless. Yeah. Nobody is asking me if it's mine. Yeah. Everyone's like, you're lucky that's running. Like, Absolutely. <laughs> I'm very lucky you even made it here. And cars like that, I really love because they're so, like, they're the everyman car. Yeah. They're rare enough that you don't see them. They're quirky enough that they've got character. Yeah. But you can turn up anywhere, and everybody's, like, not necessarily your friend, because you'll get the people that turn their nose down at cheap old cars for whatever reason. But most people, 90% of the people, they find it interesting. They find it cool. Yeah. And it's not coming from this jealousy perspective. So I've been to a couple of events where there's millions of pounds worth of cars and my little Renault just plonked in the middle <laughs> and it's like everyone's like it's cool it's a Renault 5 yeah we can't hate it no um, the funniest one was I was parked in a circle of two Conan's eggs a Pagani a 4 litre GT3 RS something out probably a McLaren or something like that they were parked in like a fan and I parked the Renault right in the middle just for a photo I asked the guy who organised it if I could he said yeah that's fine parked it right in the middle got my photos got out of the car and there's all these millionaires billionaires whatever they are looking miserable absolute misery and I was happy as Larry my 500 quid Renault what a ridiculous spectacle I was like oh sorry to show you up lads not a smile I was like you've got all this money and you're bloody miserable go and get yourself a 500 quid Renault and enjoy things a bit that's the thing that, that's the thing, isn't it? Um, money doesn't buy any particular amount of happiness, does it? No, it just takes off financial pressure a bit. It takes off financial pressure. It, um, you know, owning a Lamborghini would make me very happy. But after a certain amount of time, it's like, well, I want another one now. Well, the other side of it is living with a Lamborghini. So a, f- a friend of mine had an Aventador. So he'd gone from an Audi R8 to an Aventador. Gearbox. <coughs> He got rid of the event because yeah. he hated the attention. Yeah. Like, we drove through Brighton, and I was in the 86, full livery, obviously quieter than an Aventador. But I was basically invisible. Absolutely everybody's looking at an Aventador. And he said he couldn't go anywhere. He couldn't take it for a drive, couldn't go to a petrol station, couldn't go anywhere, because yeah. either the police or random people were interested in him. He got pulled over more in that car than anything else. And he's like, it's Im- unbearable to live with because it just draws so much attention. That it, he was like, I just got rid of it, bought a McCann and a GT3 RS. Unbelievable car, but I, I know a, I've heard a lot of stories of gearboxes going right. wrong on them. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a Lamborghini, it's part of the, the charm. It's an expensive charm. It's definitely an expensive charm. <laughs> Surely that stuff's warranted, though. Yeah, yeah. I, I, know, I know a couple of guys whose gearboxes have gone on their Aventadors, and love you, by the way, Lamborghini. But. Um, yeah, the, the gearboxes, they do go um, occasionally, and it is an expensive repair, running right. into five figures. No, so, Aventador's make big money problems. But then, it's, I, had, I had the Aventador Ultimate on test for five days towards the back end of last year, and it's just such an exciting car. Yeah. It's just it's sense so of occasion has been insane. Like, oh, it's, it's... You just feel... It just makes you feel amazing um, because not only is it a real driver's car, and that's something that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. You know, um, it's a real driver's car. It sounds 
absolutely bonkers. Even after dailying it for five years, like I just uh, five, five days, day. rather, I wish five years. After five days, I just couldn't get over the noise that the thing made. It sounded sensational. And at times it would drink a pound a mile in fuel. <laughs> but it was just the most exciting car. And yeah, I, I would love an Aventador, but you've got to have big money to run them, not just to buy them, but to yeah. run them. There's a guy that comes to Coffees and Cars that's got an SVJ and he's, he's like, yeah, I've got a couple of, couple of million wrapped up in cars. And I'm like, I wish I could say that. Yeah. I wish I could say that so casually. Um, and he had a Richard Mille watch on, yeah. which is a 400 grand watch. Yeah. And I didn't spot it because I'm not paying that close attention. I'm just chatting to the guy because he's a, somewhat of a regular and he comes in different cars here and there. And I hope nobody with nefarious activity hears this, turns up and tries to rob him because he's a massive guy and I would not get anywhere close. <laughs> like, properly, like, he will kill you. Um, but someone else who's a lot more attuned to watch spotted it and was like, is that a Richard Mille? He's like, oh, yeah. It's like wearing a detached house on my wrist. Pretty much, yeah. Well, it's more than our house. And um, I'm into watches, so... Well, I said to him, I was like, can I have a look? Just expect him to, like, put his arm out just to show me. And he took it off and handed it to me. He's like, yeah, sure. And I went... This is the moment where I just leg it, right? And he's like, I'll catch you. I was like, oh, I don't do that. Yeah, yeah. But it was like, I'm just holding almost half a million pound in a watch. In it's my crazy. Hand. And he had a 10 quid rubber strap on it because the strap that comes with it is so expensive. He was like, if I want to wear it, I might as well put a cheap strap on. No way. And it was like this rubber one that probably cost 10, 15 quid. That's like getting budget tyres for your supercar. Yeah, <laughs> at least he's not putting the strap through high performance scenarios. Yeah. But yeah, just... It's insane the amount of money that someone has to have to live with that kind of car and that caliber of wear that type of watch. But yeah. I guess it, it's one of those where everything is perspective, isn't it? So someone driving a 500 quid Fiesta and living in a council house probably sees my Toyota and the house I live in and is like, oh, it's, it's all right. I wish I could get to that level. And then I'm looking at the guy who's driving the Ferrari or yeah. the Porsche. I'm like, oh, I'd like to get to that level. And then the guy in the, the entry-level 458 is looking at the guy in the Aventador going, I'd like to get to that. Yeah. And everybody's trying to get to the top. And then when you get to the top, you've got people like Elon Musk and they just look miserable. It's like, well, doesn't seem to be all it's cracked up to be. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, there's levels to this wealth game. Yeah. And I know, I know a lot of really wealthy people. And, but even some of the wealthiest guys I know will be like, I'm poor compared to this person. Yeah. You know? And, but then how much money do you, do you need, you know? Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's, it's one of those where there's, there's always going to be the next thing that you're trying to achieve. It's hard to see fulfilment when people have money. Like, it seems to get to a point where it's like, right now I've got to chase the next thing. Yeah. Like, I imagine if you had a million pounds, you'd be quite comfortable for quite a long time. But then you're suddenly going, yeah, but if I had five million pounds, I'd be more comfortable for a longer time. And then you get to like, I've had a hundred million. Yeah. I wouldn't have to think about anything. It's like, oh yeah, but then I need a billion. And it's just this never ending. I think hundred million is the point where you can kind of sit down and go, I don't need to worry about money anymore. Ever again. Yeah. yeah. That's the, not even if I'm sensible with my finances. I could be wrong, by the way. But even if I'm sensible with my finances, I've got a hundred million pounds. Not yeah. all of that's liquid. That's going to be invested in some property and some other things. So. Which will give you ten, like in, income and interest and things like that. Exactly. So, you know, I, one of the reasons I got into business was because I wanted to make money at the end of the day, mm. you know. Um, and everything, like I said before, we, everything we do is passion. And, you know, I've, I've not taken home any great paycheck from it yet. 
you know, don't, don't get me wrong, but I wanted to get into business so that I could have money so that I could buy cars. Yeah. It was a very specific, it was very linear. It's like I earn money, I buy cars. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that was sort of the, the motivation behind it. Um, and everybody's got their sort of dream garage planned out in their head, haven't they? Yeah. And that dream garage can change, you know, depending on what side of the bed it's you wake weird. up on. Yeah, plus as you kind of mature as well, your tastes in cars change. Yeah. Like as I've gotten a little bit older and as I've spent more time around the classic car world, I'm not chasing the the Huracan. I'm not that interested. Yeah. I'd rather have like a really nice classic. Yeah. Which is weird because like teenage me would be like, yeah, but it's a V10 Lamborghini. I'm like, yeah, but I, the character isn't the same as mm. say like an old Maserati or something like that. Mm. And it's weird as you kind of spend time around different cars or you mature a bit and your tastes change and what you're after. So I could get to 50 and be in a completely different dream garage scenario. Yeah. And it's just odd. Like I never expected to have my little Renault. And now I've got it, I'm like, this car it brings me so much joy yeah. that I have so much more value invested in that little car than I ever thought I would. I yeah. was like, it's a 500 quid Renault, it'll be a little beater. Now I'm like, oh, it needs to be working and everything. Needs to, I just want to be able to drive it and love it. And even my other half, not into her cars, didn't tell her I was buying it, got her to drive me to go and pick it up so that I could drive it home. And she fell in love with it within like two days. Character, isn't it? It's brilliant. And yeah. it, it's just fun how your perspective of what cars you desire changes depending on where you are or what you're interacting with and what you're after. And, you know, it, it, especially when you've interacted with um, a fair amount of these modern high-performance vehicles yeah. and then you get back into something um, that's maybe 20 years old and suddenly, you know, that, that changes your perception again because recently um, I've driven... Um, Mark 1996 GT3. Oh, nice. Um, and a Ferrari 360 Spider manual gearbox. Um, and those cars are sort of turn of the century. Yeah. Really sort of going back to, almost back to basics in terms of, you know, it's, it's a much more raw and pure driving experience. But they're just about modern enough that they're not terrible to live with. Yeah, yeah. My dad had a 996 Turbo. Yeah. And that had cruise control, parking sensors, yeah. xenon lights. Like, you could live with that car now. Yeah. It's probably got more than my 86 has in terms of things that are useful. Yeah. Um, except for Bluetooth. Didn't have Bluetooth. But here's the thing, like, you, you drive those cars and, okay, they're not as fast and they're not as capable as, as these modern vehicles, but they sound better. Yeah. Um, and your sense of engagement is higher and they're still chuffing quick. Like, oh, you yeah, don't well, need any more performance. 996 GT3 is probably still 400 brake. Uh, it's embarrassing, I've forgotten. I think the it's, turbo was 450? I think they're around 360, 370. Right, okay. I'm sure somebody will prove me wrong. It's still quite a lot of power, though. A Golf R's 300, and those things are rockets. Uh, here's the thing. What, one of my favourite cars is Honda Civic Type R. Yeah. Loved the FK, FK8, spent a lot of time in that. Um, recently drove the FL5, the latest one. The 50 grand one. Yeah, and it's such a special car, mm. and it's so high on driver engagement, and it's 320 horsepower, and you sit there and you go, you know what, I don't need any more yeah, yeah. straight line poke, than not on the public road anyway, like it's still fast enough. Yeah. And sometimes I think you've got to drive all the really, really fast stuff to go, actually no, that's probably I a bit too much. This yeah. Now. yeah. Um, um, I somewhat embarrassed an RS3 yesterday, because you just couldn't take any corners. 
there's a string of roundabouts coming off the motorway near me. Mm. And it's dual carriageway to a roundabout, dual carriageway, roundabout, dual carriageway. And this RS3 would not get out of the outside lane. Mm. Just sat there, slamming on the brakes for every roundabout and then booting it off again. Yeah. So I caught up to him, ended up alongside him after a roundabout because I didn't have to slow down for the corner. And then he just put his foot down and left. Next yeah. roundabout, straight past him. I'm like, you don't need all the power to A, go quickly and B, enjoy your car. And it's, it's one of those, again, with like a high power performance vehicle, you're not going to enjoy it as much because you can't use it fully. Um, funny story, kind of relevant to that. So this is long before I had Redline. Um, I had a Mark 7 Fiesta ST, bought it from you, and I loved that car. And still do. I think it's one of the great modern hatches. Mm. Um, Just has a bad reputation, doesn't it? With yeah, well, the people chabbed them up a bit, yeah. haven't they? But um, I was driving, I was in Malden, and I left and I was going towards South Alden Ferris, anybody who's in that area, who, who knows the area, and I was following um, a W204C63. Nice. Um, and on the twisty stuff, he could not get away from me. Yeah. He had so much more power and straight line performance than me, but he could not get away from me. And then when the road opened up, he, he, he left me for dust, you know? But it just goes to show that you can have all the power on the, in the world, but if you've got a small hot hatchback and you can pedal it fairly well yeah. and you're a bit brave, you can keep up with the, with the big stuff. Yeah, yeah. 100% I used to you can. hunt down motorbikes in the Peak District in the 86. Did you? Just because I knew the roads and I can somewhat drive around some corners and a, a, a reasonably large portion of people with motorbikes, the speed that they can go desensitises them to how fast they're actually going. Yeah. So they go absolutely ballistic in a straight line, which feels really, really fast because you're on a motorbike. And then as soon as you get to any sort of corner, me and my car is right up behind them. Yeah. And the Peak District is all corners. Yeah. So I used to hunt them down and pass them and laugh to myself. Like, ah, I got your motorbike and can't outrun a 200 horsepower car. Um, which I did a bit of in, I had a Mini as my first car. And that was a, another scenario where you can have that right on the limit the whole time because it's a go-kart. And you can really embarrass some people if you know yeah. how to drive. And I do it in the Renault every so often on the right bits of road. Yeah. Um, I've, I've talked about it before on here. I've got, when I lived in this area, I used to commute across to Whitham, so all the way over to Chelmsford and up the uh, A12. And there was a guy on a motorbike that would do 40 everywhere. So I would catch him in the Renault, but I'd have to stay back until I knew there was a section I'd be able to overtake him on. Mm. And then I'd have to get up to 60 before I got to him, <laughs> so that when we came round a corner, yeah. I was already doing 60, I could pass him. And every time, it was so, like, fulfilling because he's on a bike if he saw me he'd just leave yeah but it, because I'd caught him off guard I could pass him in this Renault and he'd never catch up again it was brilliant and that's way more fun than being able to just put your foot down and do 150 mile an hour instantly yeah I imagine the novelty of that wears off quite quick right um, I've never done 150 miles an hour so I wouldn't know not even on the Autobahn I've not been on the Autobahn actually no, me neither to be fair um, so nothing about what I just said was sarcastic um, some cars are so a 720s is yeah. so stupidly fast and you it does decide in fact i had a 765 lt spider on test a few months back and it's even quicker than a 720s it's intense as to how fast that car is and the problem is it does desensitize you a little bit in terms of speed and you, you 
you, you just think, oh, how much quicker do they do they want to make these things? Yeah. You know, and you can you can get to very 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 illegal speeds far too quickly in yeah. these things. You well, can you're at you can hiccup speed in second gear, aren't you? Yeah. You you can hiccup and you you're doing a speed that I, I can't talk about freely on this <laughs> podcast unless you're on a runway. Unless you're on a runway, yeah. Um, and yeah, they're, they're just too much. But then it's all it's also sometimes it's nice knowing that you have the performance as well. Having the power and not needing to use it. Yeah, I, yeah you, you you're just sitting there, and you know, I am the fastest thing on this road. Yeah. And if somebody dares challenge me, unless they've got like some 200 horsepower bike, yeah, yeah, they're they're gonna get absolutely mullered, <laughs> you know. And it's just it, it's nice knowing that you have that in reserve if you ever wanted to use it. Yeah, it's like being an MMA fighter that doesn't look like an MMA fighter and being in a bar. And yeah. Being like if anything kicks off, I'm sound. Yeah. Like no, I'm an MMA fighter and yep. I'm going to beat up anyone that gets in the way. Yep. Um, it is interesting to see how far they have gone because ultimately the people that can afford them 90% aren't going to be able to drive them as quickly as they're capable because no. to be able to afford one you have to be working hard and running businesses and things mm. you're not necessarily going to be a racing driver or have the time to dedicate all that to getting better at driving also some of the people that buy them are buying them because they can have them yeah. not necessarily because they're car people yeah, true. A lot of it's status, isn't it? A lot of it is. I think, let's say with the McLarens, I think you have to enjoy driving yeah. to fully appreciate what a McLaren can do. Um, but I think with, with other manufacturers, um, people do buy them for show mm. or because they want to experience the speed and the performance, yeah. but they're not necessarily um, driver's drivers. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. So people will buy them and they'll never get anywhere near the potential of the car. Um, which I find a bit sad, actually, because the manufacturer goes out and they engineer this car to be as incredible as it can be, you know, to be the best driver of your life, to perform on a track, give you all this great feel and feedback and, and be a real driving experience. And some people never actually get the chance to. That car is not living up to its potential. Then. No, exactly. Um, and, you know, when we road test, I always try and I've got various road testing. I'm very fortunate in that where I live, there's a road testing route on the doorstep. You know, I live in a, in a, in a part of Essex where the roads are, are, are very good. So I'm lucky from that perspective. Um, and we do road test them properly within, you know, some of the cornering speeds you could get out of these cars. There's just no way you want to go anywhere near it. Yeah. You know, on a tight country road, you're just Absolutely. asking to be impelled by a tractor. But and they come out of nowhere. Yeah. But no, we, we like to kind of get to the bottom of what does the car actually feel like to drive. And I, I always try and communicate this, you know, in the, uh, in the articles and, and the reviews that we write, because you want to put people in your shoes. Mm. at the end of the day and, and say well look I'm driving this car and this is the experience that you can have from it and this is the way that it makes you feel and I think you know sort of looping back around to, to what I do I like to put people in the driving seat as and where I can yeah you know because I think that's that's what people are interested in yeah people will, will read for what's it like and what does it feel like I can't attain this thing so what is it like yeah. to have one and how have you found your journey in kind of writing and creative writing almost to, how's that experience been for you? 
Yeah, it's a funny one. I got a C in English at school, which I probably shouldn't be telling anybody. Um, I don't think people check your GCSEs before they open the magazine, though. No, they don't. But um, as somebody who writes about cars and does automotive journalism, you'd think I got a, a better grade, but I don't know. I think it's definitely been a journey, and I'm always looking for ways to improve. I look back at some of my earlier articles and... I go, okay, I certainly wouldn't write like that again. Yeah. And I know where my strengths and weaknesses are. I think the whole time that I've been doing Redline, apart from wanting to create great content for people um, and run a successful business, I think what I've always wanted to do as well is become just a really, really good motoring journalist. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I, I grew up, reading car magazines watching the youtube videos and you see people like henry for example and, and steve sutcliffe and chris harris and and some of the other you know well-known journos and they're they're heroes you yeah know? and they they've certainly inspired me um to go out and and and, and do this as well and i want to be as good as them and that takes a lot of time and Mm, you know, you need to be around the industry. Yeah, exactly. Practice and you need to be around the industry a long time. But that's something that's always sort of driven me as well. And I hope that other people now and in the future can find the sort of value from, you know, my car reviews and, and my written content that I found from those guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's 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 a real big driver for, for me. Um, that's something that I feel very strongly. at, And I, I want people to one day, you know, go, right, I, I want to watch some motoring content or read a car review or whatever it might be and I want them to go I want to read something from Mark Rose because he knows what he's talking about and he creates great content I think that's absolutely that's that's a that's a big thing for me it's a big aspiration to have yeah and how have you kind of considered with with what you do and the the pieces that you write has there been a like a a desire to do and a di- not necessarily a digital accompaniment in terms of writing, but say a YouTube or a video series when you're out testing these cars anyway. Yeah, so we we do have YouTube videos. Um, the relationship with YouTube has always been very interesting because, you know, the magazine's monetized. Um, it has to be because, you know, something's got to pay for the print costs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, and that's always been the heart of the business because I think, call me a bit old school, but... I prefer that type of content. So I think I put more of my my time and passion into it. Um, But also, you know, the business had to stand on its own two feet. So, and YouTube, you've got to work really hard at it for a very long time to even earn a penny Mm. from it. So the time has always been spent on doing the print mag. And so I've gone through phases where I've done YouTube regularly and it's then fallen off because I've come busy, yeah. you know, with the car magazine. And we're in that at the moment, you know, I've become really busy with the magazine and I can't put the YouTube, you know, um, videos out there. I think I present okay. Um, I'm not world-class by any stretch of the imagination. You'd- That's another thing that comes with practice. I've stepped in front of the camera a few times recently and it's, you don't expect it to be as intimidating as it is until you're trying it. And then oh, you become, yeah. very, for me personally, I become very self-critical. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, ah, stuff it, I'm not going to do any more, or I don't like that, or I look stupid, or this, that, and the other. And it's really hard to 
kind of learn how to separate that in, inside your own head. Yeah, and then, then you see people who are just naturally good in front of a camera. Yeah. And it's like, I have all the self-confidence in the world. Or not all the self-confidence, but I have a lot of self-confidence, right? But you, you see some guys and how they present, and you just go, I'll, I'll never be that good. The thing is, a lot of people don't realise how much of a character people put on. Yeah. And how much effort it takes to hold that character. Yeah. And I had this with a, a guest that I recorded with before you today, um, Cav from Stjana Gloss. And he was saying, the person you see on the camera isn't how he is at home. Mm. He's not that energetic all the time. He's like, that's 100%. Normally he's at like 30%. And when we record, he's like, look, I'm at 50%. And I was like, well, we've not got cameras or anything. We just need to have a chat. Yep. And it's enough to be engaging and have a conversation. But he'll get people come up to him at events and be like, how do you do this all the time? How are you so much energetic? And he's like, I'm not. I'm, I'm in front of you right now, so I've got to put the energy in. Yeah. And it's really hard when you're not in yeah. that mode of, like, if you're a bit tired or you've had a couple of beers the night before, it's hard to put that amount of energy on in front of people. It is, it's yeah. It's a lot of work, and I don't think people get enough appreciation for how much energy it takes. A million percent, and I, I don't put too much energy on in front of the camera. Like, yeah. I don't go over and above who I am, so yeah, to speak. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that's detrimental, I, I don't know, but I think another problem with that is, I think, when you're growing up, you know, especially as a lad, and I think society as well has, you know, has taken down this route, but... You, if you was the one who kind of stood out and was a little bit quirky, it was like, oh, check out this weirdo. Yeah, yeah you get bullied. Yeah. It's the, the nail that sticks up that gets hammered down. Exactly. <laughs> and so I think as, as we grow up, we kind of, this, this idea that you should be cool and you should just try and blend in a little bit kind of gets hammered into you. And so when it comes to sitting down in the front of a camera and presenting something to take yourself out of that yeah. mindset is really, really difficult because immediately you think, what if people think I'm a twat? Yeah, well, 100%. <laughs> you know? And I was fortunate enough to be a, an unusual kid in that my family were all Jehovah's Witnesses and I just I didn't fit into any of the mm. boxes of like school norms and things like that. So growing up, it's made it easy for me to go, right, I don't mind being the first person to try something mm. I don't mind putting my head and shoulders above the parapet to see what happens yeah. because I'm used to being the kid that kind of got poked fun at or stood out a bit or people didn't really like and it, it's a weird thing to look back and go actually that's done me a benefit because now I've got the confidence to go right I'm going to do something different because I'm not scared of being a bit of an idiot or looking mm. a bit silly like with what I do with Tacona you have to be very much out there for people to get the message and get the idea. A million percent. Because if I was really shy and retreating about it all, the message wouldn't make any impact. No. And it's from that kind of place of, well, I don't mind either being the butt of a joke or having a confrontation. If someone doesn't like me, I don't mind having a confrontation about it. Mm. And I'll happily tell you to go fuck yourself. Like, mm. I don't mind that. I've grown up doing that. So yeah. it's a weird thing that when you're a kid and you're growing up, it's the worst thing in the world. Yeah. And then as an adult looking back going, well, oh, it toughened me up a bit. I've got a thick enough skin. Yeah. I'll, I'll give it a crack. And if, it, if I fall on my face, I'll, I'll be the butt of a joke for a bit. Yeah. But I'll go have another go and eventually I'll get it right. No, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I, I, was, I was bullied at school as well. Um, and it's, it's difficult to sometimes put yourself out there yeah. when even if you think oh right you know I'm that was 15 20 years ago now and you think to yourself I've moved past that but 
mentally somewhere in the back of your mind it still has an impact on on Absolutely. how you behave you know as as an adult um and so yeah getting back to the presenting side of things like i'm an okay presenter i don't think i'm ever going to set the world on fire i mean i your audience you know i'd love for it if they went onto the channel and and had a look at some of the videos because the quality of the cars that we got on there is yeah. very good it's a small channel you know we, we ticked over onto 3000 subscribers the oh, other fair. day nice but the nice thing is because we had the great press cards for the magazine that's why even despite being a small youtube channel we we still had the good stuff for the channel you yeah. know whereas i think you know i don't think you'll find any other youtube channel with 3k subs that has the sort of road tests that we have well that's what i was thinking is that you've got access to things and you're making content anyway yeah you're out testing these cars to write about them and to do these pieces it's a good way to capitalize on that time with the car isn't it and if you can get bits out of it it's better than not getting anything out of it and missing out on having a brand new press car yeah on there isn't it you're you're kind of ahead of the curve a bit Um, i imagine you have a lot of embargoes on some of the stuff that you do and that you can't talk about it until it's out or are you using cars that have already been launched like what how much of the cars, on the pulse side of stuff are you doing yeah cars that have already been launched um we're a quarterly magazine so usually to do the the big international press launches with the embargoes really you need to be a monthly yeah because the manufacturer wants you to go on the launch and then get the content out when the embargo lifts so it doesn't really make sense for them to do the launch, have the embargo lift a month later, only for you to publish a month Three or two months, months after, after that. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that's kind of been a barrier at Which entry. is odd because you'd think that they would like a bit of that. Because what you get, especially at the minute with how the social media and everything works, is you get, we know this new car's coming. Mm. All the influencers have got all these videos. Yep. And then on this day, you get 50 videos, yep. 50 pieces, all come out at the same time. And then that's it, it's gone. It's a flash and it's gone. You'd think one or two of them would be savvy enough to go, well, this one's coming out a couple of months later, so we'll get another hit of people hearing about it and talking about it and seeing it. Yeah, but here's the thing. The press cars will be on the fleet by then and the press cars will start going out and doing the rounds. Ah, So they'll be getting those, you know, typically the manufacturer will do the international launch, the embargo will lift, the journos that have been on it or the influencers that have been on it will do the first round of content right. and then shortly after that the press vehicles will hit the fleets and then they'll start giving them out to other journos so they're getting this constant stream of content right anyway. okay i'm with you um so yeah shows just how much attention i pay to the industry uh, yeah <laughs> no <laughs> but you wouldn't know that gone, unless yeah. you unless you work in it and you get the press vehicles and you know how the press teams work you, you wouldn't you wouldn't know that anyway um so yeah but, you know, we're fortunate in that I've built the magazine up to a point now where, you know, it, it doesn't matter if we're not on the launch because we usually get the press cars sort of shortly after now. Yeah. You know, we don't wait too long for them. Um, you know, you're known in the industry now, so yeah. you're on the list of people to talk to about the cars. Yeah, I'm not the last person to drive it, Yeah, which is nice. Um, when all the tyres are shredded isn't it? Yeah. it's got engine management lights on because someone's been a bit naughty in it <laughs> no exactly so yeah but I'm, I'm, I just I, I keep it humble I'm just really happy and I feel really privileged to just be driving these cars irrespective of whether I'm the la- on the launch for it or not yeah you know um, I'd, apart from somebody who owns a supercar or a high-performance vehicle. I've spent more time in these things than anybody else has. 
And if you said to me, you know, 10, 12 year old me watching Top Gear, watching Clarkson and all those guys review cars for a living, you know, on the TV, or, you know, the Evo guys doing it in the magazines and, and on the internet, if you said to me as a young and impressionable lad that in my 30s I'd have my own car mag and I'd be doing that, I just would have been like, nah, get out. Yeah. You know? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really good fun. It's really rewarding. But going back to the, the sort of press launch thing, our next issue that we've got coming out in a few weeks' time, when's this podcast going out, by the way? It'll probably be after that. Okay. I'm guessing that will be September. Yeah, we'll go, we're at the beginning of September. Yeah, so I think I've probably got five or six lined up and they're every two weeks. Yeah, so okay. So it'll be further down the line. Okay, well, issue 16 is on sale now. So yeah, go, go and get, get a copy. Yeah. Yeah. Where can they get it? Um, off the website, WH Smith. Um, yeah, www.redlinemagazine.co.uk. We're in selected WH Smith High Street and Travel Stores, not all of them. Um, selected because we only like to go into the stores that sell car magazines not all of them yeah have good figures for selling car magazines so yeah it's selected um but you can get it from the website anyway but yeah we got aston martin db12 on the front cover of the next issue oh interesting even though that's just been launched um and that's because steve sutcliffe yeah being steve sutcliffe went on the international launch um and he does a, a bit of writing um for the magnet which is a huge huge privilege that's so cool um, he's on my list of people I need to invite on here actually I keep bumping into him at events and forgetting to ask him he's such a legend yeah he was at Festival the Exception I was like oh I must remember to ask him and then I got caught up doing something and yeah. he left by the time I saw him again I was like yeah no he's such a legend and um, he's, he's doing some writing for the mag now so you know hopefully that means I'll, I'll get some more of the, the launch stuff you know coming through in the magazine a little bit more now um, but yeah it's um yeah, real privilege to have him on board. Yeah, it's awesome. And that is one of the guys that you'd mentioned as your, like, aspirational heroes growing up. So it must be so fulfilling for you to be able to, like, just chat with him and just be like, hey, Steve, like, how's it going? What's going on? What are we doing? What, what piece are you writing? For yeah. you looking back as a kid, like, that must be such a, a cool moment. Yeah, I'm, I still pinch myself. Um, you know, it's... And other people within the industry have noticed it as well. A couple yeah. of press officers have said, oh, I've got Steve Sutcliffe writing for you. And it's just, I don't mean it from like a, an ego point of view. It's just, it's crazy, man. Yeah. Like, it's just crazy. Like, one of my motoring journalism heroes now writes for my car magazine. And I, I still, it's been like that for, you know, a few months now. Yeah. And I, I still struggle to get my head around it. It's just crazy. That's awesome. And we've smashed through an hour, almost an hour and 20. Okay. I feel like this is a really nice moment for us to kind of round off yep. and, uh, and bring it to a close. Because what a heartwarming way to finish is that you get to say one of your heroes writes for your magazine. Yeah. And we've already said where to get it from. But for a, a, a round off, where's the best place to find out more about what you guys are doing? Um, follow us on Instagram. Um, I know it sounds a bit obvious, but um, we're the magazine's quarterly. We produce a lot more digital content you know day to day yeah you know most days um we've got either videos or pictures or you might see me jabbering away on a story um you know going up so yeah please um give us a follow at redline magazine perfect um instagram's probably the best place um and, and yeah the website is redlinemagazine.co.uk perfect well um, mark thank you so much for sitting and chatting and sharing 
your story and what you're up to and your inspirations and your enthusiasm it's, it's really appreciated and hopefully the pizza that Mike has given us isn't too cold after almost an hour and a half of sitting on the table just toying with us waiting to give it a go well first of all thank you for having me on the podcast <laughs> really appreciate it um, it's been good to chat um, and I love cold pizza so that's going right to be then. no hardship that's fine you if you don't want it. any of it because it's gone too cold I'll, I'll gladly take one of the, those take pizzas will fill you up and there's still one and a half left so best of luck to you I'm here for it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I will stop recording there. Thank you.